Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hi there. You're listening to the Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to talk about how you can reclaim your sexuality and experience pleasure after experiencing sexual assault or abuse. Unfortunately, this is a very common experience for many men and women. I know this is not a topic that most people are comfortable sharing with each other, but I was looking at the statistics and based on the statistics that was provided by Rape, Abuse and Incest National network every 98 seconds an American is sexually assaulted and I can guarantee that this number is not a true representative of what's going on because at least based on my clinical experience many of the clients that experience abuse or assault they don't follow up with it uh, they don't report it even in our therapy session it takes number of months for them to feel comfortable talking about the experience. So that's why I thought this would be an excellent topic to talk about with our guest, Mrs. Wendy Maltz. Wendy is an internationally recognized sex therapist, author, and speaker with more than 35 years of experience treating sex and intimacy concerns. She authored a number of highly acclaimed sexually resources, including the Recovery Classics, The Sexual Healing Journey, A Guide for Survivors of Sexual Abuse, as well as Private Thoughts, Exploring the Power of Women's 
sexual fantasies and the porn trap, the essential guide to overcoming problem caused by pornography, Wendy compiled and edited two best-selling poetry collections that celebrate healthy sexual intimacy. Her popular educational website, www.healthysex.com, provides free articles, podcast interviews, posters, couple sexual hearing videos, and more to help people recover from sexual abuse, overcome sexual problems, and develop skills for love-based sexual intimacy. Before I get to my interview with Wendy, I wanted to uh, share with you guys and remind you that until the end of month of September, I'm offering limited reduced fee spots for therapy. I can provide therapy to you if you live in state of California or internationally. I would be happy to see you in my office in Los Angeles. But if you're not leaving close by to my office, we can always do video counseling. That's something I do with many of my clients. Anyhow, if you're interested, you can book an appointment with my assistant. The number is 833-376-6254. Here is my conversation with Mrs. Wendy Maltz. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited today, as I mentioned during the introduction, our guest today is Mrs. Wendy Maltz. She's a sex therapist and author. Wendy, welcome to our show. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation. I was talking to you briefly before the recording that I love your book. I find it such a great resource for individuals who experience abuse and assault. So thank you so much for writing it. Oh, you're welcome. So one of the, unfortunately, one of the challenges I often hear from my clients is that they experienced some kind of sexual assault and abuse, and they don't know how common it is. And surprisingly, it is very common. I was looking at statistics, depending on the stat, it was one out of three for women or mm-hmm. somewhere else was one out of six. And it's interesting because it sounds like it's one of those areas that everyone, they have an opinion about it. So we hear lots of myths and misconceptions around it. What are some of the common myths you're hearing around sexual assault? Well, I think initially what happens is that there's a a common phenomena of blaming the victim of sexual assault, either trying to minimize what happened, um, minimize that it was serious or that it had serious, that it even occurred, that it could have serious effects, that it could have effects that were so serious that they did interfere with a person's sexual sexuality and plague them for their whole lifetime if they're unaddressed. And, and so in terms of things like sexual assault, rape and molestation, a lot of times there's a uh, a sort of a myth perpetrated that, oh, the victim really wanted it or asked for it by how she or was dressed or what was said or the fact that there was some 
alcohol or drugs consumed or that they were in the victim's apartment, things like this. There's a, there's a lot of blaming and a lot of minimizing, a lot of discounting, but it's a real serious problem in our culture for both men and uh, women and men as victims too. Absolutely. And you, as you mentioned, that was such an important topic, that blaming aspect of it. I even sometimes hear my clients, they're blaming themselves for something that they didn't have control over. Yes, you kind of get a sense there's a spillover effect that happens. Like I myself am a victim of um, date rape from when I was in college. That was many, many years ago. But for a long time, I didn't even apply the Uh, words rape to it because it was kind of like oh I shouldn't have consumed that alcohol oh I you know I did consent to sexual relations but then the guy kind of flipped and he became violent and and when I said no I wasn't listened to so, you know, there's just things like this where you, it's very easy to go, oh, what did I do wrong? It must have been me instead of the whole realizing that everybody has a right to say no to sexual relations at any time, at any time in the process of um, being with somebody, that it's not just a gate that you go, okay, I consent, and then anything goes. It's kind of like an ongoing, there are lots of gates, lots of things where, you know, you need to check in with a partner and a person, and are you are you okay with this? You know, you need that yes, an ongoing yes to uh, sex to avoid you know, it being something that was unwanted by one or the other person. Right. And thank you so much for sharing your experience with our listeners. I read that in your book and and I think that was very helpful to share, put your perspective on it. And I definitely agree with you about the concept of consent. I know when I was growing up, I was like, we had this no means no campaign, which was great, but consent is such a, interesting and sensitive topic so as you mentioned if you give consent to someone for an act doesn't mean that you give them consent for everything else yeah yeah Yeah. and that can get very confusing I hear that a lot from my clients that kind of they they get like assaulted and part of them they say oh but I I gave them consent for so-and-so behavior so it just breaks Mm -hmm. my heart to hear that yes it is. And, you know, things like alcohol and drug use are often uh, complicate matters because they do affect people's decision making, both for someone who ends up uh, sexually abused and also for perpetrators. So, you know, I think it can be real important. It can be really important to recognize that how it can compromise a whole situation And that, you know, it's probably not a good idea to consume a lot for people who are wanting to avoid being seen as perpetrators as well as people who want to be, to have and exercise an ability to say no in situations. 
Right. And oftentimes I see that when someone experienced some kind of abuse, sexual abuse or rape or incest, it impacts their attitude towards sex. What's your uh, input on that? What's your experience with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole way sex is seen and, and experienced is gets uh, defined and determined by the, that experience of being sexually, can get defined by being sexually abused. So uh, survivors, like I remember when I started out working as a, a therapist, oh, it was many years ago, like 35 oh, wow. <laughs> something. We're talking a long time ago. You know, I would ask survivors, run groups sometimes and ask survivors, well, how do you define sex? And they would say things like, oh, it's dirty, it's painful, it uh, is humiliating, it's disgusting. And they gave very good definitions for sexual abuse. But that I realized that they were not seeing sex as being something positive. It's very different definitions when you have healthy sexuality. And what healthy sexuality, it's joyful, it's mutual, it's, you know, it, it's a celebration, it's sensual, positive. So uh, I realized there was a very serious way that sexual abuse experiences could end up defining and determining how a person thinks of sex and uh, what kind of associations come up. Right. And I know what uh, my clients who who are older, they're kind of they're able to see like my attitude towards sexuality was different before. And we at least have something to work with. But sometimes I know that uh, some unfortunately, some of my teens clients were violated and they kind of kind of impacted how they see sex. And it's really hard because they don't they didn't develop the perspective towards sexuality before as much. And that shift can be very challenging. Right. I think that that can make a big difference, whether uh, how early the abuse happened and also the influence of media uh, in our culture. There's a lot of rape that is in our movies, on television stories. I mean, when have you seen a crime drama that didn't include, you know, some woman getting um, you know, horribly attacked. It, it just, it's such a, uh, it, it's a, it's a way that where sexuality is presented through pornography and other means and talked about too, where that can color the way a person thinks of sex. I, you know, I, I look back and I think that, well, I mean, I grew up in the, if you can believe it, when I was a teenager, it was in the 60s, and a young woman in, the, in my 20s was in the 70s. But I had had some really, one of the saving things, or positive things that I, I later realized was really good that I had experienced was I had had some good friendships with males in uh, high school and junior high, and also my early boyfriend's. We just had a lot of fun. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't necessarily like intercourse or you know, it, but uh, at least you know not when I in my younger teens or whatever. But we did crazy things, you know, of getting in our underwear and 
and just horsing around and <laughs> things like this. And I thought, you know, I had a lot of, I had some really fun, you know, interactions where I did feel in control, where I did feel it was mutual and, and the delight of just exploring things. And that did help. If someone is uh, sexually abused when they're a child and or in their teens is their earliest experiences, then all that learning about sex as something positive and fun, it's something they can still do. Uh, you know, it's important to to make sure that you that you give yourself opportunities to have those kinds of experiences and and play and those whole relearning touch exercises, you know, that are right. mentioned in the sexual healing journey. And you can look at them for free on my website at, at healthysex.com now. And there, the video relearning touch techniques, you can, you can watch that. You know, those are all these playful kinds of things that really teach some important developmental skills of like how to be in your body in a relaxed way how to explore another person's body where your touch is an expression of feeling, how to receive positive feelings through the partner's touch. Just things that if you're not abused, you can take for granted, but uh, they're really key piece of healing for someone who, especially who experienced that early sexual abuse. Right, and I see there are some some of common uh, there's some common challenges that survivor experiences that that's not necessarily shared with my other clients that they didn't have that experience what are some of those common sexual challenges that you see in the, uh, survivors well you know with sex it's a way of interacting with another person in a very personal intimate vulnerable way and you're sharing parts of your body that you were told were your privates, you know, <laughs> and, and then other people, you know, aren't to touch and things like that. And, and so the, there's a lot of learning about your, uh, about healthy boundaries and, and um, there can be that feeling of, Different, well, different kinds of uh, associations can come up with touch that were instilled in the abuse that need to be understood and then uh, worked through so that touch can be experienced in a new way. Right. And that's one of the common questions I get. I'm lucky that I work with many insightful, kind young men. And the number of times they came to me and say, you know, this was the experience of my girlfriend. And I don't know, I want to support her, but she want to get intimate. I don't want to re-trigger her. So what's your recommendation to uh, those groups? Well, I think that it's really important to learn about the sexual healing process. Get If you're a partner of someone who is abused, and if you're a survivor too, to learn about how, do, how people do go through, can go through steps to be able to learn skills and develop attitudes that help for creating positive sexuality. Sometimes, like, People need to do a lot more communication and have an understanding that the survivor needs to be in control or feel control. It's not like, like controlling over 
the partner, the intimate partner, right. but it's it's having control in the situation so that they can do things like stop, take a rest, uh, affirm your present reality, alter the way touch is happening, uh, share the feelings you're having, you know, take a break. Yeah, get get a glass of water or go to the bathroom or right. put on some music or change positions, you know, and and that and that ability to really impact our own situation. See, with sexual abuse, you learn the you, you lose the ability to be in control of your body in a present situation. It's very scary, you know. It's I, I don't know if you've heard of attribution theory. Right, right. But, but please share that with our listeners. Yeah, it's like, where do you see the locus of control in a situation? Like right now, I'm in a room. If I want to get out of the room, I have a door handle. I can turn, I can open the door and get out. I'm in control of whether I'm in this room or not. If somebody from the outside locks the door and I'm stuck in the room, then I've lost the, the attribution of who's in control, I've lost that and they become in control. And that's a scary feeling. That's when we feel locked up, right? right. <laughs> and, and confined or forced into a situation we don't want to be in. Uh, we don't like the feeling in an elevator when the doors won't open, you know, or whatever. And or if our seatbelt gets stuck or, you know, things we just or in a in an operation in a hospital or something, you know, where we're strapped down to to have our appendix taken out or something. So it's like that loss of control. If it's explained and you understand, and it has a positive purpose, why it's happening in a dentist chair, you're going to get your teeth fixed. But in in sexual abuse, it happens, and it's very scary, and you don't know what the person will do, given that they now have sort of control over your body and it's humiliating to not have that ability to control our own experience. So a lot of that that ability to feel in control of your own body during touch, uh, pleasurable touch, intimacy, and, and then the sharing of, of wonderful feelings that can happen from the erogenous zones in our body, our genitals, breasts, and lips, things like that, you know, to to reclaim those as something that you do that are yours and yours to experience, that's a really important part of healing. So anything partners can do to help kind of reassure survivors that they respect the, the importance of them being in control you know, like encourage speaking up about how some type of touch or position is being experienced and uh, or what kinds of behaviors might be better not to do at, at a particular time. There can be a lot of hidden kind of reactions that survivors aren't even aware of, you know, that do relate back to old abuse that happened and um, the consciousness of making that connection can take a little time like a woman uh, not feeling comfortable with the back of her head being stroked when something like that happened during 
you know, like forced oral sex or something in, a, in an abuse experience. But you just go, hey, you know, my partner is just stroking the back of my head and we're watching a television program. Why do I feel like I want to slug him, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and, and it's like, no, it makes perfect sense. It, that that kind of touch for some, you know, was a similar part of your, same part of your body or it, it hearkened to what was felt in abuse and you haven't yet reclaimed it for yourself uh, with new associations. Right, yeah. And I think with the, with the, one of the challenges is that sometimes I know some, some of my clients, some of the listeners, they share with me that they were in altered state. They don't yeah. remember. And it's amazing how our body remembers. So they have these reflexes. The thing that you mentioned, the association is there, although they don't remember. So I think trusting the body is also very important. Very important. And, you know, sex gets the breathing going. It's, it's an exercise. It, it, and when your breathing's going and your body's moving, sometimes that can also release kind of some feelings too. I've had experiences where I had some body work done and just had certain muscles that were kind of relaxed in a more deep way and boom, an old memory came back, you know, of uh, something hurtful that had happened to me in the past. So it, it's like our body does have store a lot of memories and and I think rather than going oh I must be crazy or what's wrong with me you know it's really important to develop self-compassion and say no wonder you know something got triggered now you know no and and I'm going to validate that and I'm just going to take care of myself and change what's happening now so I feel more comfortable Right. And I know with painful memories, such as memory of sexual assault, rape, those kind of traumatic, horrific memories, that's some of the, like, it's natural for people to not want to process them because it's like opening this very painful wound. Uh, So sometimes I get some of like some hesitation for people to do the work. Mm. When do you think people are ready to go on the sexual healing journey? Oh, well, it gets woven in a lot with just recovery in general. And it's, it, you know, certainly if somebody was recently assaulted, the important things for them are to feel safety and protection and to be believed and to get back the uh, sense of integrity about their own bodies and control in their own bodies and heal any specific wounds that came up, things like that. Some general sexual abuse recovery work of not blaming yourself for what happened, realizing you had a right to be unmolested and unraped in whatever situation you were in, that nobody has the right to, to mistreat you, even if you did can like for me consume alcohol or whatever you know and it uh the, the and and so the they're not realizing it wasn't your fault that the feelings you're having are normal and make sense given what happened to you 
moving forward with developing self-esteem, getting out, moving out of depression, and uh, all those things are really important. Getting back a good, good feelings about your body. You know, I used to encourage. I still do encourage survivors to do things like take self-defense classes and uh, yoga classes, things where you are, and and Tai Chi, things where you're in your body and and learning and moving with it um, and in ways that help you feel strong. So those kinds of general recovery steps can be important. You know, Sexual healing, you got to feel ready for it in the sense of having, I, th- I think, a good sign like to move into, well, let's look at things like touch or stuff that involves genitals, you know. you It's got to be something where you're starting to feel curious. Curiosity is just the biggest thing where someone says, you know, uh, I wonder what it's like. I wonder what healthy sex is. I wonder what it would be like to feel really comfortable in a situation and gee I I wonder what it would be like to experience more pleasure or to not be afraid of my partner and and those kinds of things if you start wondering those things on your own that's a good sign that that you're moving into readiness towards you know some things where you want to explore sexual healing more directly but their sexual healing the early stages of it are have to do with shifting the attitudes towards sex and separating sexual abuse from healthy sexuality and starting to develop a whole way you start seeing that sex could be something different and changing the way you feel about yourself as a sexual person. So there are attitudinal and self-esteem kind of things change first and then there's stopping negative behaviors that might be going on and, and uh, you know, act, sexual acting out or avoiding, you know, avoiding interactions, even taking a dance class or whatever, you know, all together. And so being able to do those kinds of early things and then you can move into touch, uh, healing, uh, learning about automatic reactions, developing skills for handling them and doing relearning touch exercises and then uh, working on, you know, sexual functioning issues and how to enhance sexual pleasure and communication with a partner, mutual pleasure. So certainly for someone who's in the early stages of recovery to jump right into, you know, doing genital massage or something right. it's just like <laughs> no you know you, you know the interesting thing you're, you're trained as a, a sex therapist is that right yes so you know there are some marvelous exercises that can help people with learning to become orgasmic right with uh, dealing with erectile difficulties premature ejaculation or uh, erectile having difficulty getting erections things like that and but one of the things I found as when I started working with survivors was that a lot of those exercises were too much, too soon, too sexual, and that the sexual dysfunctions, quote unquote, they were experiencing were really ways of coping with feelings related to early abuse. 
So a woman might not be able to climax because having a climax reminds her of a climax she experienced in the abuse, you see, or something. Right. And then blamed herself for for something. Or a man might ejaculate early because if he, what like one man told me, well, if I if I do sex for too long, if I do intercourse for too long, I start feeling like I'm going to rape my my partner. And it's like, whoa, no wonder you climax early. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to, we're not going to work on that till you're, you know, we right. really dealt, dealt with the whole picture here. Right. And I think uh, one thing that you were mentioning that was a very excellent point that sometimes it is some of the challenges, it might be a sign that we're progressing too fast because God knows many people want to put this beside themselves and forget about it and like, you know, move forward. So sometimes I see that my clients wanting to um, kind of get intimate again immediately afterward and to talk about this genital pains that they have, they get re-triggered and can mm -hmm. kind of re-traumatize them in a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. You know, and when you get the principles of, hey, you need to go slow with this and do it in a way where you do feel you have control in the situation and you need to reclaim your body and reclaim sensations, you know, that that those principles are are key. And there are people who, in I'm sure, in times past where there wasn't a book like The Sexual Healing Journey or videos, you know, to show that they did accomplish healing through just kind of a, an intuitive sense of what was needed. I, I remember a lesbian couple that I was working with, where, or that I met actually, I think at a conference, that's right, and they, uh, the one woman said, well, you know, we did a lot of this healing on our own, we figured it out. She, then when we first got together, you know, one of the women was really uh, uncomfortable with any type of skin-to-skin -skin intimate touch. And they decided that she would keep all her clothes on when they went to bed and that each night or whenever she felt like it, she would take one article of clothing off and sleep with one less piece of clothing. Interesting, wow. So it started with socks and then it went to, you know, instead of long sleeve, short sleeve, instead of long PJs, short PJs, and, and down to being able to remove underwear. And they did this very slowly over a really long period of time until there was the comfort and trust and that sense of being in control that they found a way to establish, reestablish it through experiences. There used to be an idea that if you did all the psychological healing work with sexual abuse, that automatically that would resolve the sex, any sexual problems that existed. But it's like, oh no, that's really missing the point. <laughs> sex is so physical and these memories get locked in the body and, you know, and you have to really relearn touch and re relearn how to approach touch and think of it and and move very slowly think of how long it took to 
uh, reinforce negative processes. It's going to take a while to reinforce some new positive ways of thinking. And any kind of stress experiences that come up in a person's life, it's so easy to get kicked back into old, you know, automatic reactions of um, being kind of freaked out by sex or intimate touch. Right. And I know that at least for some of my clients, when they share with me that they had experience like they were, they were raped or there was a sexual abuse in their past, they kind of think, okay, I'm a damaged good now. I'm oh, bad yeah. and nothing going to change. So it's just kind of, there's this feeling of uh, helplessness. So I know that you have many decades of experience in this area. So based on your clinical experience, is rewarding and enjoyable sexual relationship after assault is possible? Uh, definitely. Um, I don't believe, I, I believe things like love is stronger than abuse and that, you know, we are always, we have the option where we can, you know, start anew, just like you erase the blackboard at night in a classroom and in the morning you start, you know, right. with a new, new day. You can do that, you know, you can, I mean, sometimes you have to keep erasing for a while before it's, <laughs> you know, you have a sense you have a, a pretty blank slate, you know, to, to start with, but uh, it's possible. And, and there's, you know, things that I, I mean, but it, it's not going to happen automatically and you have to kind of fight for it and you've got to get maybe a little angry about what happened instead of don't go, go to self blame, go to anger, like. You know, I'm not going to let what happened determine how I think about sex and how and my sexual experiences for the rest of my life. I'm going to reclaim sexuality as something positive. And it doesn't have to be the all determining thing. So there are the techniques, those relearning touch techniques, they really work. They're amazing. And, um, I've had people also write me and say, I read your book when my partner and I, we did the exercises or on my own, I did a lot of these exercises and, and, and we got to a place where sex became uh, something instead of something that felt out of control or, or scary, it felt fun, pleasurable, mutual and rewarding and it raised self-esteem. So, you know, it's like, you know, it's it's definitely possible, but it's not going to happen on its own. It does take some conscious effort and understanding the principles and the dynamics of the healing process to so that you can go as slow as you need to go. You know, go slow. It's usually a slow process. So you're usually talking several years initially. Right. I mean, you know, if some... Depending, I mean, for childhood sexual abuse, but if someone had positive experiences with sex and then, you know, was uh, sexually assaulted or raped in a one-time thing with a stranger, you know, they their recovery may not be as long because they know what, they already have an idea of what good sex is and they can see it as a freakish thing. But a lot with people who are abused, you know, um, repeatedly or, or at different times in their lives or a lot when they were little, they have a little more of a challenge and building trust with a partner can be difficult, you know, and take time. 
or you you need to start seeing the partner as you know not at all like the uh, perpetrator and unconsciously it's easy to make an overlay there for a while Right. And what I love about your book is that it has absolutely great content, but it also has good exercises. I tend to be more solution focused. So when you Mm -hmm. mentioned that, like, it's not going to be recovery wouldn't be automatic. I definitely agree with you that we need to take action to address and kind of undo what happened. And many people are able to pass beyond what happened and kind of reclaim healthy sexuality, at least based on my experience and many of my clients. Yes. And I mean, I, you know, I, I was doing it for myself as I was learning about <laughs> these things when I was young, you know, too. And, but I've met and worked with many, many thousands of survivors who did reclaim their sexuality as something positive. And that's, that's wonderful to see. But, you know, it's also like, it goes, well, what kind of a society do we have, though, where, where these things happen and where people have to, you know, an experience that maybe in and of itself might have been five minutes long or something or, you know, can create years of difficulty for somebody and years of recovery that has to go on to to overcome it, and we they sh- that shouldn't be the case. We need better protection for children. We need greater awareness about sexual abuse and its very serious effects. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think that most survivors ever do this work. I think there are a lot of people who are denied uh, the pleasures of a positive sexuality because of abuse that they experience that our culture allowed to, uh, you know, continue. Right. And I know this is a very challenging work. I don't necessarily, my focus of the practice is not like trauma. So I can only imagine that the thing you heard and work supported your clients through decades, how painful it must have been. And that must have been a very also rewarding career. So thank you so much for all this great work. Thank you. It's good to talk with you. So what would be the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you? And I definitely put the information about the book and the website in the show notes. Through my website, healthysex.com, there's so much on there, you know, and now that I'm in my kind of retirement stage of life, and um, I, I put a, I made a lot of uh, resources free. So there are lots of free articles, charts, and uh, videos, and podcasts, and just lots of information on my website. I also, um, my first book was called, before The Sexual Healing Journey, was um, Incest and Sexuality, A Guide to Understanding and Healing, and the woman, Bev Holman, who was my co-author many, many years ago, she and I decided to make that book free. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, there is a link from my website where you can actually get to, I think it's um, something like free psychotherapy books. or it, It's, it's a, a group that puts out 
books for free. And so that can be downloaded for free. And, you know, a lot of the information still holds in it. And the, the sexual healing journey was a little more for the lay public. And incest and sexuality was sort of written for a mixed audience of professionals and uh, survivors. Wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah, but through my website is best. Oh, great. So I'll definitely going to check the first book as well. And I make, I encourage all of our listeners to please, you find it relevant, definitely check her website and go to the show notes. And thank you so much for your time and sharing all this great content with us. It was my pleasure. And thank you for the work that you do in this area as well. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. I hope my conversation with Mrs. Wendy Malls gave you some information and tips on how to address some of the barriers and challenges that you might experience because of experiencing uh, sexual trauma. I wanted to share with you that it is so normal to feel shameful and defective and feel like a damaged good because of the experience you had. But I can also guarantee that with proper help, you will be able to overcome all these challenges. And I know at least for some of my clients, they gained so much insight that their sex life also improves because of how they explore themselves and the knowledge they got around their sexuality. So if you're struggling, I highly encourage you to seek professional help, good place to start would be reading Wendy Malt's book. I recommend it to all of my clients who are struggling with these challenges. And also at the end, I wanted to encourage you to uh, record your questions and feedbacks in our website, in our website, sexologypodcast.com. You see a blue tab that says, ask your question from Dr. M. And I would love to hear your voice. And if you want, we can feature the question and error, and I'll be happy to answer all of the questions that you have. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.